one of the main Jedi leaders in the in the prequels is named Tyobi. So Darth Tyobi. Are you struggling to deploy cloud-native applications to a hybrid cloud? Do you want to become familiar with Kubernetes and Istio? IBM Cloud has a set of free, hands-on training, ebooks, and an always-on free tier of services to help you learn. Visit ibm.biz slash stackoverflow to learn more. That's ibm.biz slash stackoverflow. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Sarah. Hey, Ben. Hey, Hi, Sarah. Hey, Paul. Hey, Ben. My voice is a little creaky, so yeah. just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. This is a podcast about code, so I brought this topic up this morning. Let's dive into it a little. I had a fun time this week. I'm chatting with some folks from SpaceX for an upcoming blog post we're going to do about how they how do you write software, you know, for space. And one of the things they were talking about was just how they have like different levels of software where, you know, there needs to be a certain threshold for reliability or redundancy. And she mentioned to me, "Oh, you know, like NASA actually publishes all this online. It's actually public." So, Paul, you shared something this morning. What is the power of 10 rules for developing safety critical code, this says? It's like the Joel test for lives. That's right. <laughs> no, there's like a there's a number of standards. There's the MISRA-C guidelines and the JPL coding standards and so on. So as you can imagine, like NASA coding is pretty serious. Although I want to just counter that by the fact that they will do hot patch updates on the Mars landers. Like, you know, that thing gets out in the space and they're like, you know what? We need to update it and they'll do it. They mm. will patch. What a nightmare to realize your space code is wrong. I mean, it's rough, man. Like, can you imagine that Windows XP service pack? It's like, it's, it's, it probably costs about $20 billion to, to upgrade. Yeah, I'm just imagining like being the coder that realizes and then just going to my manager and my manager being like, are you sure this needs to be changed? And being like, yeah, man, I figured it out last night. And then being like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And then who do you have to talk to? Sounds really yeah. stressful. Coding conventions are a big part of life. What are the, actually, what are some of the, I guess it'll, it'll be in the blog, but what, what are some of the SpaceX ones? Yes. I mean, she was saying when you get up to that level of like human lives are at risk, and I don't know if this is different from any big organization, but like, you know, somebody's going to take the ticket, right? And so you're going to work on it, but you actually have to check with somebody else, like somebody who didn't write the ticket. Is this something I can prioritize? And then you find, you know, a third person. So there's three people in the loop to like, you know, be the one to review all of your changes. So like there's somebody who's saying, yes, this is worth the hot patch on the Mars rover or, you know, like uh, the, the ISS, you know, like I guess someplace where like people are, are going to be somebody else saying like, OK, I'm going to do the work. And a third person to come in and be like, I'm going to review the work and make sure that like once it's merged, like all the concurrence are good. And like, you know, we're going to be able to reproduce all this stuff when we move it to master. So like. So she specifically said that needed to be three different people. Yeah, she said that's that that's like the extra step that they take and the thing that sort of trips them up a bunch of times is like you can't be the the person who is like, "Oh, I think there's something that we need to fix." Can't be the one who decides like it. when and how to do the yeah, the work exactly. I am projecting maybe, but I, I imagine that's because if you identify the work that needs to be done, you may in your mind think how it should be built and you may not be as thorough in a review is what that's mm -hmm. my theory on why what do you think paul do you think that sounds right 
It sounds exactly right. I mean, one of the things I'm looking up is that I remember this coming out like a year ago. Everyone on Nerd Media got all excited because Kubernetes. So we don't have to explain what Kubernetes is. We've had many people explain <laughs> yeah. it to us. Several uh, episodes of explaining. But the Kubernetes. The Kubernetes coding style, if you go look at their, their repo, is please, they use the space shuttle coding style. So it has mm -hmm. a lot of like if statements, every if statement has a matching else, things that may, tons of, of content or to, and, and comments and enormous amounts of review. You know, I, th I think Japanese train conductors are, are sort of taught to point in certain ways. And I've actually seen um, MTA train conductors do they it point. as well. Like they it's point at the zebra. That's right. It's to force your brain to like register things. Like I think that these social orders and these rituals are are incredibly effective. And it's the same with like airline safety, right? Like you, there are reasons you do things over and over the exact same way. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking here at the Wikipedia. The power of ten rules for developing safety critical code. There's ten rules. A lot of them make sense. Kind of obvious. Like all loops must have fixed bounds. This prevents runaway code. Restrict functions to a single printed page. That make I think everyone should do that. Like when I see these long functions, I get really stressed out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean they're good. Use they're the preprocessor sparingly. But here's one that so the first thing I saw, avoid complex flow constructs such as go to that makes sense because go to's are just mm -hmm. dumb. Yeah, and don't do go to's. Recursion. I can't imagine how annoying it must be to build without recursion. Why do we think that is? Just because it's hard to grok well, at a first glance? There's that, but I think also like memory I, I would issues? guess the memory issues. If you're in, if you're not in a a language that's optimized around recursion, which you know C is not, then and if like then a loop is a better construct because you can manage the memory and know exactly where it is at all times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of memory ones. There's avoid heap memory allocation. Don't use function pointers. I mean, that's the story of why we use languages other than C, right? Like it's just <laughs> memory management is a pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. That's actually interesting. One thing that came up, I was talking to a different set of engineers from Starlink, like one with all the satellites in the air, the like mm. hundreds and hundreds of satellites. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that they use C++. And one of the reasons they do use it is because they can be really tight on memory management and where things go. So they have like three computers on board the satellite all running the same process at the same time. So that if there's like a solar radiation flare that hits one, and some bits flip or like it stops working, the other two know exactly where they were in time and can just like keep working from there. Does that sound like, does I, did I get that right? That sounded really interesting no, to me. No, that makes sense. I mean, what you're trying to do is just, you're very aware of your extremely limited resources. Like you can't go out and upgrade the server rack in space. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, Mail it and a so server. You, you probably can update the firmware, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you just want to get the maximum speed and efficiency out of the radiation-hardened platform. And you can't send like super fast new CPUs into space because radiation right. will flip their little bits. So mm. yeah, absolutely. It's like you're programming like you're trying to get, it's like it's the 80s, like you're trying to get the most value out of this very expensive thing. Yeah, right. the, it's kind of a nightmare too, just thinking thinking out loud. Like if you're updating firmware remotely, the, one of the top 20 scary things about updating firmware, because this isn't something that we used to do before the internet, like things lived the way they were. And But <laughs> now that one of the scariest, one of the top 20 scariest things that can happen when you're updating firmware is that you kill the ability to be able to update the firmware. So what a nightmare that must be. That must be scary every time you do it. You know what I hate? It's like 
and also everything's firmware now. So I'm like, well, you know, let's see if these headphones survive. Except there's a <laughs> compulsively, I have to upgrade them because be like, there's firmware upgrade for your headphones. I know. Who I'm knows? Like, it could oh. be much cooler headphones. I mean, I may. Who knows what I've been hearing? And then you get it, and it's like it integrates Amazon Alexa, and I'm like, oh no, you've really ruined it. That happened to me recently. I got the new iOS, and they built in all these things that I didn't know with the AirPods in. And then I'd be talking. Right. And Siri would come on or like she'd start reading a message in the middle of, you know, like me listening to a song. And I was just like, where, who made these decisions? Oh, I did when I didn't read the terms of service and I updated the new iOS. I made those <laughs> no, decisions. that's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. But no, I think, look, everyone who programs should definitely read through and learn about the extremely restrictive coding styles that you need to launch something in the space and then realize that you're never going to do that. <laughs> uh, you're going to just write a bunch of JavaScript and cross your fingers that it doesn't break. I mean, the yeah. great thing about the web is it lets you test in production. That's the, the <laughs> all-time all great thing about the world. Everybody, everybody underestimates it. But like, you know, back in the day, you would just edit the blog post right on the server. Just yeah. log into that, that. I still that, do that. that bad guy. I still oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Makes me feel alive. No, I mean, you know, so few of us. It, it actually is a good, it's a good reminder, like, so few of us work on things that are so mission critical that you would apply these standards because the cost of breakage is actually very, very low, right? Yeah. Like very, most things we do with computers, if something breaks, and, and sometimes this is to our detriment, and it's, sometimes it's really weird at scale. Like things used to break in Microsoft Word and you couldn't save your document. That was really, really bad. But then they'd upload the, you know, you'd get the patch and kind of go on. And that's what makes it scary, I think, too, when you think about like, because a lot of us have just done that. I mean, we could sit here and talk about the dumbest things we put into production. And so I think when we think about the people that are working on like mission critical stuff, we kind of think about ourselves, you know, of like, oh man, remember when I did that idiot thing? And you're like, and 30 lives, you're saying 30 people could die because you did that? That's crazy. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's the right. thing, like, but you would never do it alone. Yeah. There would be 10, there'd be all these people looking over your shoulder, making sure that you didn't do the silly thing. And the standards help keep you out. Like, no recursion, as a rule, is pretty annoying if you're writing, if you're used to writing recursive functions on, on data structures. Mm. But it does mean that that entire class of memory leaks goes away. Goes away. Yeah, that is pretty nice. So, you know, and then, of course, I'm, I'm just, someone's listening to this going, well, let me tell you about strong OCaml and strongly typed programming. But I think the efficiency of C just sort of keeps it locked in with embedded right. systems in C++. It's so nice. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I like what you were saying about how a lot of times now on the web where you can just continuously update things, it makes it less stressful in some ways. I remember when I was a journalist, I always felt better when I was doing like a live news story where it was like, you know that there's going to be like errors and things that are going to change. And so you don't even have to worry about it. You just like keep hitting refresh like every 10 minutes, you know, update the copy, like get it right. Somebody points out the typo, fix it up. I found that less stressful than like doing a huge feature piece and then having to press publish. And then you see like six things you should have gotten during the edit. Oh, yeah. Sarah, are you going to start following space level coding styles when you're doing your projects? No. <laughs> me neither. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. I'm going to be hacking, Seems boring. Be hacking it out in JavaScript and Python. Yeah. She did mention, Paul, that she was getting into TypeScript because it enforced the integrity of the data, that that was something that was like helpful to strongly typed languages were like coming into vogue at SpaceX. I, it makes sense. Types are really good for exactly this domain. I mean, in fact, one of the Department of Defense's preferred language, ADA, 
was really an early example of that strongly typed, like everything is, is sort of has to be written along these lines languages. And so, you know, when you're, when you're running a battleship, Ada is the choice. This is all very safe. I like to think of myself as like the Robert Downey Jr. of software. Like I don't, I don't really follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not, not early, not late. Like mid period Downey, like mid period you know, Downey, yeah, late 90s, nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, have to be late. afraid of yeah. the news. I've definitely Robert Downey'd some code. That's <laughs> absolutely true. Right, right. All right. So we have another story here, uh, and this one is kind of like a so what, um, or like a does it really matter? But what Python overtakes Java to become the second most popular programming language for the first time in history oh in the in the tiobi or tioba or tioba yeah. or tiobi's index ranking. exactly yeah okay it's ti- first of all tiobi's top programming languages have you heard of that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely okay great because it's not like it's not like sarah's top programming languages tiobi's been around for a while they've been on they've been ranking and so java's been the, javascript's number one right and then i think uh no c is number one a C is number one. I'm yeah, suspicious. what is what is this? Where is this coming from? There's a little human a- anecdote in here. Tyobi CEO Paul Jansen said, some time ago I had a flat tire and I called the road patrol. The mechanic asked me about my living and I said software. And he smiled and started talking about his passion for Python programming. Hmm, cool. It's just I an everyday, that. average Joe kind of programming language. Python is very accessible. I mean, that, that was, it really was sort of a, a teaching language in a lot of ways to start. And so, you know, and it looks like, it looks like pseudocode mm-hmm. until it gets complicated and then it just looks like code. This is interesting <laughs> though. It still has visual basic as number six. Look, I mean, it, the world takes a long time to change. You know, what's funny with these is that these, these rankings are really interesting just, but they don't really mean a lot. Like, yeah. It's all the same. Like, I wish we could rank the standard libraries and the usage thereof, right? Like, right. like really, if you want to know how languages were doing ongoing, it'd be like, how many updates has its major web framework received in the last 12 months? Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Right? Like, you know, is Express still actively developed? Or how many yeah. web frame- frameworks? Is there a new Express? These are the two things that I want to know about any given language. How many new web frameworks have appeared? in the last 12 months and how many times has the dominant web framework, most GitHub stars, whatever been updated in the last 12 months. And then that, that could tell me everything I need to know. Remember when Ruby like post rails, then suddenly everybody's like, Oh, we should build our own. And there were 5,000 Ruby web frameworks. (laughs) Oh yeah. JavaScript the same. Anytime there's a new big JavaScript library, Ruby's one of the ones I skipped. I feel like as a developer, as a technologist, new technologies come out and you have to make a conscious decision Am I skipping this one or not? Yeah. And Ruby's one of yeah. those that I skipped, but I've seen the same thing in JavaScript, how like as soon as something successful comes out, there's five more of the exact same thing. Oh, but the next right. one is both opinionated and beautiful. I love that. JavaScript like like nailed down like seven words that are going to get used to describe every new library. I feel like, Sarah, one thing you said makes a lot of sense. Like, how do you measure this? Like, the huge ones, as Paul said, are everywhere, but you just sort of stop paying attention to them. And like, it takes a long time to overcome the inertia of, you know, all the, all the systems that are out running there. So you need also to look at like the fastest, the movers and shakers, like fastest growing, because that's probably where a lot of the hiring is going on. A lot of the discussion is going on, right? It's like on the, the ones that are rising quickly, as opposed to like the sort of, you know, ones that take a, a, t- a decade to, you know, get out of the top 10 or whatever. 
Well, Python R, you know, you'll notice here, I mean, there's some funny things, which is like Perl is is going up really quickly, but it's only got 1.51% of the market. So that, that's a surprising result. I wouldn't expect a lot of Perl. But what I would say is that I think what you might be seeing is that there's a lot of work going on around data science, right? Like Python and R are both going up, notebook style development, so on and so forth, as opposed to app building. Like it feels like we've built all the apps and now we're going to spend the next five to 10 years analyzing the log files. Yeah. <laughs> this is your end of history here, Paul. We built all the I think the so. Apps. This is my Francis yeah. Fukuyama moment. This is, yeah, yeah. now all the apps are done, right? Like <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're just, done. thank goodness. It's all, it's all happening. It's all going to be in various cloud services. And the only thing right. we, we just don't have any idea what we just did. So now right. the remaining programming work is essentially historical. Yeah, why does it get That's really cool. slow on Tuesdays? The bundling or unbundling of apps is allowed, but no more new ones. Yeah. No, no new ones. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I love this new law. <laughs> How do we get customers? Can you make me a prettier chart? Like that's yeah. the future of engineering. So <laughs> I feel like we need to make pull that trigger with social networks, by the way. Oh, they're oh, done. Yeah. This might have been a few years ago, but I just think maybe we could start by saying, okay, no more social network apps. Just not allowed. Yeah. No one needs it. No one needs it. That's like an environmental protection thing. Just for psychological yeah. protection of all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No more yeah, of these, no, please. No more social networks. Well, actually, maybe what we need is like 5 million more social networks immediately. Mm. Mm, that's Remember a different you were going to be able to make your own? It was like Ning. Ning was going to be make your own social network. Yeah. I love the 24, 48-hour news cycle of, you know, Mastodon or whatever. It's like, we're all going to go here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start clean. We're going to start fresh. It's hard to decentralize. It's hard to decentralize because nobody's there. It's just you're literally throwing a, a party with like one room, and then the people who show up are nerds. And yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> and then you have to explain it to your uncle how to set it up. Yeah, it takes I mean it's hours. my kind of party. Absolutely, it's like the kind of party where someone's like, "I have a PhD <laughs> in linguistics," but like the other part, most people are like, I, "That party sucks." And, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm at a point in life where. I no longer expect people to enjoy the party that I like. Yeah, that that is a period in life, isn't it? Like there, there's a long time where you don't know what's wrong with people. That's how you know <laughs> that's how you know you're ready for management is when yeah. you can actually finally go, yeah, it probably is we pretty We are kind boring. of a bunch of weird nerds, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like that and and when it's no longer the most important thing, then you go, eh, well, I might as well manage because I've lost the anchor to the one thing I truly love. But you can, there's like warmth in your heart for the people that are still there. Oh, absolutely. You're like, absolutely. yeah, I mean, I, Everett, this is think, the best party. Yeah, I get it. I think about this a lot, right? Because people talk about this in terms of individual contributors versus management. But mm -hmm. what I think it really is, is like, are you discipline focused in how you gain power and authority in your own life? Or are you sort of human and, and revenue and business focused, right? And both can really line up. Like Google needs a lot of people who care about the money coming in, but it needs more people who care about how to make the systems work. And so like... You have different power bases that way, different kinds of talent, different ways that people think. But like, if you are really aligned, and that doesn't mean you're not a good manager, you're just discipline aligned, right? Like you might be a manager who's discipline aligned, or you might be one who's business aligned, or you might be an IC who is discipline aligned. And so there's more of a steady, there's like a steady path. I think like, you know, and you see more and more patterns too, where it's like someone is mentoring five people or is sort of like, you know, one-on-ones with two or three people as opposed to running the team. And they're mm. still a pretty busy IC. No, I was going to say, or you have an IC that has one-on-ones with literally the entire company and you're like, okay, that's you want right. to be a manager. That's right. Like the, the, yeah, there should be like a title for like the, the coffee IC. <laughs> yeah. 
And you can have a political coffee I see or just right. a really good advocate for the company. Yeah, coffee I see. I like that. I liked what you said a lot about like, you know, where do you find, you know, like your sort of like happiness? You're saying, oh, you just look at, at these people you're managing now and they're like kind of bringing the warmth that you used to feel when you were discipline focused. So that's what it is. It's like becoming a parent. You're like, yeah, I'm not pursuing my uh, career as a rock guitarist anymore. But like when my kid does something great, oh man, you know, I see it. The dream yeah. is alive. Yep. Yep. I will That's pressure right. my kid That's to right. become Maybe. a rock guitarist. <laughs> That's right. You're not going to get the same satisfaction out of solving that problem, but you understand why people do. All right, everyone, it's that time of the episode. We're going to shout out a lifeboater, somebody who was awarded a badge for saving a question that had a negative score, getting it up to a positive score of 20 or more, sharing some knowledge around Stack Overflow. This one was awarded 21 hours ago and goes to Lil Sederio. What does the multi-true attribute of HTTP underscore interceptors mean? All right. Whoa, whoa. So if you want to know more, you can find out. Value provider interface will tell you about this multi-property. All right. We'll drop it in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow, and you can find me on GitHub at Sarah Joe. I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow, and you can check out my company, Postlight. <laughs>